Welcome back to the Corey Walsh Podcast. Uh, today we're going to be interviewing Tanner Kern on his journey from D1 offensive lineman to what, completing a 100-mile virtual marathon. It's a really inspiring story, and I think you guys are really going to enjoy it. Tanner is a really good guy, and his blogs and podcasts he now launches truly do add some bright light to a dark time we're in with the virus. So I hope you guys really enjoy this, and uh, yeah, enjoy the episode. All right, so uh, now we got uh, Tanner Kern. Thank you, Tanner, for uh, coming on. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Oh no problem. I've been a I'm I'm a pretty big fan of what you've started. I mean, it ju- it's like it pretty much like just starting out to seem to be your mission. I feel like this whole like wave of positivity that you're doing, which honestly like now is like the perfect time to launch it, given like what's going on really, and with all the negative news surrounding like the virus and whatnot, you kind of are trying to really pave your way as this beacon of light in a dark time. Oh yeah, definitely. I think. Uh... The coronavirus really, it gave us a lot of time, you know, depending on what your job is and all that. But for me, I had some extra time. So I decided, you know, why not start the blog? Why not start the podcast and the website? And I always wanted to do it, but I thought, you know, it was the perfect time. Yeah. So I really found your story to be truly interesting. It's not really the way that most D1 athletes, I feel like, kind of go down this road if they have ends to their uh, football careers. But I'll start from, like, you've said since you were young that you've always felt truly doubted. And there was a quote that you really said that I really found powerful, which was that you said, there's always someone who doubts you and your ability to succeed, but that is what you specifically love about life, if you want to, like, build upon that. Yeah, so, you know, just going back to my youth football career, I think I was always, I always wasn't physical enough, you know, and um, that's kind of where that mentality started. And I took that into high school and into college, uh, just, you know, people saying you're not physical enough to play the position and, and all that. And, um, I didn't let that, I, I took that attitude and I carried over other things in my life. Uh, you know, running people always said, you know, you're not gonna be able to lose weight when I was 340 pounds, and I was done playing football. And I took that, that mentality that whatever people are doubting you, I took that and I, uh, used it as fuel to really improve myself. Yeah, when you were um going into the college scene as a football offensive lineman, um, did you feel as if even colleges kind of slighted you in some way in terms of like the offers that arose due to the even though you had pretty solid numbers coming out of high school? Yeah, I think I had about 12, 13 offers out of high school, and I don't feel necessarily I was slighted. Um, you know, around the state there were a lot of really good football players and yeah, you know, I, I don't feel slighted coming out of high school. I thought, you know, I got, I got a lot of recognition and um, yeah, don't definitely don't feel slighted in that area. It was more just uh, you know, more what people said on the outside about my playing ability and all that. And, you know, start that was starting youth football. And again, I just used it as fuel to improve my game. Yeah. The criticism that you felt early on though, you definitely felt like it turned into a massive positive. And do you feel like without it, you wouldn't have became the player that you were going into your first few years of college? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, without that, without the criticism I've received from a lot of people my whole life, I definitely wouldn't have, I wouldn't have gotten that fuel. It, it, I wouldn't have been the player I, I became. And, um, you know, I don't think I would have been the student I became. I don't think I would have become, um, 
you know, starting the blog or the podcast, you know, so it, it definitely, it definitely helped me along the way. Did you, um, feel as if like, cause I looked at your log for your first few years of college. So in 2015 is really like when you stepped on the field at the Lafayette, right? Yeah. And, um, you, it says you got an ankle injury. How did, how did that happen? So I got to Lafayette 2015. I ended up going into camp and I won the starting job at center. Um, so it was week seven or week, week eight. I don't really remember, but we were playing Harvard and, uh, the kid I was playing against, he was playing nose guard and I was playing center. He was just, he was an animal. Um, and he was, he was pretty physical the whole game and I struggled blocking him. But, uh, so the ankle injury came, we were, I was a pass set and he tried to beat me to the edge. He got around the edge and the running back came to help. And he kind of dove, you know, try to cut him and it went right into my ankle. Uh, so that was, that took me out for two weeks. I missed, I missed our homecoming game against Bucknell. And then I came back against Colgate, uh, got injured again in the first quarter against <laughs> Colgate. Um, but we were winning at the time, so I'll, I'll take that. But, uh, I got injured there, re resprained it. And then uh, I missed, we had a bye week before our last game. And then we played Lehigh and I ended up playing that whole game. And, um, it was sore and I couldn't really walk too well after the game, but I got through it. And then it seemed that your career after then kind of just was plagued by injury too. What, what seemed to happen in the last two years in 2016 and 2017? So I started having some, you know, concussive uh, post-concussive symptom problems. And I took a lot of shots between high school and college. And I just think they started catching up with me. Um, it, you know, it was, it was hard. You know, I would, I'd come, I'd be dizzy after practice. I'd be, you know, dizzy and I'd be throwing up sometimes. It was, it was bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I went in spring football, I ended up getting injured. Um, with, uh, you know, concussion, I missed my whole sophomore season and tried to come back the next spring, which would have been my sophomore spring going into my junior year and just couldn't do it. And then at that time, it was time to finally hang up the pads. How hard was the decision to walk away or was it because with all the concussions and obviously today's football game is the, the headliner for why parents don't want their kids to play is concussions. Did you feel like you, it was like kind of easy once you realized like the concussion thing was just going to become a severe issue for the rest of your career. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, I would say, you know, I had doctors telling me I shouldn't be playing, but I battled that because I really, I mean like football, I mean, that's my first love. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I've been doing it for, I'd been doing it for, you know, over 10 years at the time. And, um, it was just, it was really hard to give it up because, you know, it's not just the game. It's you're around your friends. I mean, that, that was my, social outlet my whole life you know it's my source of exercise and um it was really really hard I struggled with it for a long time because I would watch football on a Saturday or a Sunday uh you know the next season and I'd just be like I like this this is so hard to watch I can't do this because you know I just missed it so bad and I missed being out there and so yeah it took me a while to get over it and but now looking back on it I know it was definitely the right call and probably the best decision I've made in my life
Yeah, and it seems like the main reason a lot of players in the NFL these days, too, are just retiring is due to these head injuries. I mean, you look at, like, Keekly, and then there was that uh, linebacker from the 49ers, like, four year, five years ago that retired after his first season due to just, like, worrying about concussions. Because, like, even most of the concussions in today's game are just undocumented. Like, players try to hide their symptoms. So it just seems oh, yeah. everyone's just trying to really step ahead of this, like, plague that is concussions in football in general. Yeah, and I think the the worst part about the concussions in football is it's the it is the undocumented ones. You know, it's it's a shot you take every single day. Like as as a lineman, I mean, that's the only position on the field you're you're guaranteed contact on every single snap and every rep of practice and all that. So, um, it you know it's it's those little shots that just accumulate over time that really add up, and those can be just as bad as you know the the significant documented concussion. Mm-hmm. So right now, I you're back at um the high school that we both went to xavier high school and you're the offensive line coach there now yeah so i i was coaching there the past two seasons i just resigned uh, a couple weeks ago i'm moving on i'm i got a job up in massachusetts i'm getting my uh master's degree but it was a good it was good two years getting to coach those kids and it really brought my love of football back yeah well congratulations on the job offer but um also did you feel like Watching them, did you feel like just with the experience, obviously, you had playing the game that you truly like brought something different to like the Xavier's program? Because I feel like not many like former players really come back to coach so early. I feel like it's more of like a late like 30s or 40s type situation. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think for me, it was, you know, I I didn't like football for a couple of years. I, I really didn't watch much of it you know, whether it was college or the NFL or even high school, you know, I followed Xavier, but, um, so when I decided to go back and coach, it was because I really, it was more because I love Xavier so much and I love those kids. And, you know, my love for football developed through watching those kids again. It was, you know, it's kind of like I, I refell in love with the game. Um, and I don't know if I, I, I mean, I guess I, it was cool to get to, coach those kids because I wasn't much older than them. So I could really relate to them and I knew what they were going through in high school and, you know, getting ready to go to college. So, uh, yeah, it, it was a great experience. I I'm so happy I did it because, you know, it, I love football and it was really what got me back into it. Do you think what made you fall to love of football was the way your career ended? Or was it just one of those th- simple things that like you played it for so long that sooner or later, like the burn burning drive kind of like dies out. Um, I think it was the way my career ended for sure, you know, because when you, when you do something for so long and then it's, it's suddenly taken from you, like, you know, you don't have any time to, to plan for it. It's like, it's like a sudden death, you know, like you just, mm-hmm. you don't have the time to adjust to knowing you're not going to play. And that's probably why I lost the love for football. And again, I've been doing it for so long and now that I can't play it, I kind of felt, you know, like. I can't really watch football anymore because I'm not playing anymore. And I know that's a crazy thought, but it was, it was really hard to not be able to play. And, um, I just couldn't, I couldn't face it on a, on TV or anytime I saw it, it was just tough to watch because it reminded me of my life as a football player. And now my life's so much different as, uh, because I'm not a football player. And it was just, it was hard to, it was a hard balance. 
Yeah, no, that for sure seems like that's the case for a lot of athletes when the like the thing that they love most is like truly ripped away from them because like every athlete says that the, like that gets to the level that you got to playing D one any sport is just like the amount of time and effort and dedication you put in. You truly like it becomes your life and you become enveloped in it and it's like the first love you really have. And just to have that ripped away from you has to be like the most devastating th- feeling you could have as an athlete. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, like you, when you're a Division One athlete or even Division Two and Division Three. Now I don't have that experience, but I mean, it's it's your job. You're there. You know, I was on a scholarship to play football, and yeah, you know, obviously you got to get good grades and stuff to stay on team. But you're you're getting <laughs> yeah. you're getting paid to play football. Yeah, for sure. So we're now we're going to pivot to like basically what you could call your second act of your life in a way. You you've just went on this mission. You've called it like from three forty to running a marathon. Um, what? You, but you felt like the minute you stepped away from your football career, people turned on you, and like I just wanted to know, like how much of that, like a, that must have just been like a complete shock to you to like just think you've made this great decision to like walk away with all the concussions and injuries, and it's bad enough you already don't feel like you're walking away from your one love, but to not have the support must have just been awful. Yeah, I think a lot of people. First of all, you know, football was my life, but when you reach like certain heights, I think people identify by what you're doing. So if I was, if I had some friends, I mean, some people just like me because of what I did, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I think a lot of people who, let me, let me think about on phrases. A lot of people, you know, identified themselves through my, through me playing football. Like a lot of people were just friends with me because I played football or people were just in my life because I played football. And then you know, when that ended, I'm not a football player anymore. So it's like, I don't bring anything else to the table, you know, for some people and which isn't true, obviously, but I, you know, that definitely happened a little bit in my life, which, you know, it's sad, but at the same time, if people don't like you for who you are, you, you don't really want them in your life, you know? Yeah, exactly. You, you hear that a lot with athletes that like, there's just a lot of people that kind of like to like ride the coattail of success, hoping that be like, so they can say they were with you for day one. You see that like with every like professional athlete, there's always that inner circle type thing that seems to fall apart. So what, um, you said that the doubts and health issues also played you initially in your post football life. So what did like, what carried over? So once I got better, I would say like, once I made the decision, I want to lose weight and, you know, kind of reform myself. Um, I think I took that mentality of people doubting me because I would talk to people, you know, I would, and they'd say, you know, you're going to have trouble losing weight. Like it's tough for football players to lose weight when they're done. Cause you can't change your lifestyle. And which, you know, you see it a lot of, a lot of former offensive linemen in college at the NFL. I mean, they don't, they're not able to lose weight. So, and now there are, there obviously are some, but it was, it was, um, a lot of people would tell me like, you couldn't lose weight. You're not gonna be able to lose weight or you only lose this much or, and I took that as fuel. And that's kind of what drove me to first off lose a hundred pounds. And then after that, the, the last 40 that I lost was just through my running. But I'd say that first hundred, it was, it was, it was fueled by a lot of doubt. So what, um, how long did it take for you to decide to do this, um, just like sudden like intense weight drop was it like right after football or did it take a few months yeah so it actually i was injured my soft what it would have been my sophomore season and i went up from about 315 is what i played at to 340 so i started dropping in that last like 
off season, probably got down to like 320. Um, and then once, once I was done playing football in the spring, I just kept it going. Um, but you know, I had some trouble. I had some trouble. I, I went up a little bit when I, you know, when I was officially done playing football and I struggled with that, but then, so I'd say within a couple months after I was done, I really focused on it. And then once I got under 300 pounds, I was just like, I can do this. I saw myself having success and I knew I could get to my goal. And, um, that kind of, you know, things were still hard with football, you know, not having football in my life, but Mm -hmm. having weight loss and, you know, realizing that I can change my body and I can kind of transform myself definitely helped my, uh, help my identity. Yeah, you had like what I thought immediately as like this Joe Thomas esque turnaround for like your body. I mean, like because like these offensive linemen, you're right. Like a majority of them who leave the game, just like they they never can really find a way to re like position their workouts because they're mostly linemen's workouts are based purely on strength workouts. And while that will help you bulk up, it's not going to help really necessarily help tone you down at the same time so the cardio thing is also like extremely huge in that sense so in a way you really are like one of few like that actually can make this like completely drastic turnaround which to your point is like it's also super impressive yeah i i appreciate that i don't know if i'm joe thomas yet but oh um, no <laughs> he looks he looks he looks pretty good i don't know if i'm there yet but um yeah i uh I totally agree. And it's just, it's diet, I think too, because, you know, when I was playing, I'd eat whatever I want. I'd go, you know, I'd eat, I'd eat whatever breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks in between after practice, I'd go get something. I'd go to Wawa, you know, get sandwich at night or get chips and drinks, whole pints of ice cream. And I was probably like, when I look back at how much I was actually eating, I bet it was about five to 6,000 calories a day. And if you keep that up when you're not playing, you know, you're not gonna, you're going to gain weight. So (laughs) I think that that was, and then to top it off, my workouts too were all lifting oriented. So I'm putting on muscle and then fat on top of the muscle. So yeah, yeah, it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it's a different lifestyle. And you know, when you're done playing football, you got to adjust to a totally different lifestyle than an offensive lineman in college. Yeah, for sure. Sorry to like pivot really quick. I've always just been really curious. So like, when you're an offensive lineman, like, what's your regimen for eating? Like the college like dietitian tells you what to eat. So what what was like your kind of like everyday meal? I mean, I was told that as big as I could get where I could still move was <laughs> what what they wanted. So it pretty much I didn't have many restrictions. I kind of just ate, you know, <laughs> I ate a lot of carbs, I'd say um, a lot of a lot of meat, a lot of a lot of meat, a lot of carbs, a lot of whatever I could get my hands on, really, you know, and I, I ended up playing at about 315 pounds usually because I could still move pretty well there, um, you know, anywhere from 300, to 315. But there wasn't really much dietary stuff until I had to lose weight. And then mm-hmm. when I was trying to lose weight and I was still playing, I was eating about 3000 calories a day. Um, you know, at better foods, you know, vegetables and, you know, some health, like good, good grains and all that. But until that point, when I got up to 340, that it was just eat, eat whatever and, uh, eat whatever. And if you get too big where you can't move, then we'll, then we'll worry about it. Does that diet shift based on your position on the line? Because the guards and centers make move like have to move for depending on blocking scheme throughout the game. Like if it's gonna, they're gonna shift over to the left on a run that goes to the left, or because you're a center, you're kind of more still in the middle at all times. Um, yeah, I think it was more like that was that was everyone's kind of guidelines. If you got too big, you had to you had to lose a little bit. But 
Um, I was actually the biggest kid at Lafayette weight wise. I wasn't height wise. We had some kids who were like six, seven, um, six, eight at one point, but yeah, I, I three, three thirty. I think I played the heaviest I played a game at or appeared in the game was probably about three twenty. So I definitely took the uh, trophy home for heaviest offensive lineman. <laughs> it's an impressive award. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is looking back on it. It's definitely one of my top achievements. So, so what made you just decide to shift to this running? Because like you really just seem like you grabbed it by the reins and you've just taken it to these extreme heights, capping off at this 100 miles like marathon that we'll talk about a little later. Uh, so, actually, it was my cousin who really got me into running. I I signed up for a 5K. Um, at, when I got to about 250 pounds, I signed up for a 5K because I first of all, it was down at Disney World, and I love Disney World. Um, but I also wanted to try to run a race down there. So I signed up for it in the summer of 2018 and the race was in 2019. So I figured it'd be a good, good, uh, good, you know, event to set a goal to and try to get in shape for, uh, I had some health issues in the summer of 2018 with my head, you know, I was having some concussion stuff, so I couldn't work out at all until the fall. Mm-hmm. And I got out there in probably November. I, I could have worked out in like September, October, but I was just like, it's a 5K, like no big deal. <laughs> and I got out there in November on the track. It was a it was a Saturday morning after one of our games on a Friday night for Xavier. Mm-hmm. And I went on the track. I tried to run a lap and I didn't make it a lap. And I was like, all right, let me try again. So I tried to run another lap, gave up. All right. So I, I go back in. We go watch film, whatever. I come out the next week on the track. I try to run a lap again. I can't do it. So I quit. And I'm like, this is like, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Mm. And I had to figure out something new. So I kind of got into, you know, intervals and walk running. And my cousin at the time ran the marathon down there that year when we actually got down there. And um, he really, he was, he was probably the biggest inspiration in my running career. He's, uh, he had it really hard in his life. I had him on my podcast a few weeks ago and he, he was a former drug addict and he battled addiction through running and that's kind of how he overcame it. And so seeing what he went through in his life and seeing everything he was able to accomplish, I mean, he's training for a hundred mile race. Now he's done in a hundred K he's done multiple marathons. So he was definitely my biggest inspiration in running. And once I saw he could do it, I kind of wanted to keep up with him. And, mm. uh, that, that created my, uh, you know, my, uh, love of running. Would you? So it's kind of like you're just your passion for football just translated into a different shape. In this case, it's just running. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I run for a lot of reasons. You know, one is definitely to keep my weight off. Um, mm-hmm. but it also I do enjoy it. And, and now you don't enjoy like late in races or anything, but just going out there and running, I, I do enjoy that a lot. And I think you, like you said, it, it's definitely taken my passion for football and put it into something else because you know when you're a football player, you're an athlete, you know, and then once you lose football, I still want to be an athlete. So I got to figure out something else to do. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Cause I feel like it's, that's what every athlete really just struggles with on life beyond sports. What can you shift it to? And the fact that you just found yourself so quickly is like such, such a gift really. Cause you do see these people that just seem like lost without it. They just reflect more than moving on and putting it towards something positive. And you definitely are shifting towards a positive, type of a message i mean you've started your blog you've started your your podcast both of which just like there's like no negative message in it whatsoever you really are just pushing this like light of positivity 
so you did this 100 miles thing in two days. I just, I am like jaw dropped that that was even humanly possible. <laughs> but yeah. uh, do you want to like walk through what that was and what it was for? Yeah. So I, um, I, I was going to do a 50 mile race in May and that ended up getting canceled. So I really, I was training hard for it and I wanted to do something still. So there was, there's this race company out in Arizona. It's called air Viper running and they were putting on a virtual 100 mile race. Um, so you had 10 days to complete hundred miles and some of the proceeds went to COVID-19 relief. So I decided, you know, this would be great. Good. You know, I get to run for a meet, run for a cause. Um, I also, in, in two weeks, there's a walk for the National Alliance on Mental Illness that I usually do. And I've gotten involved in that organization. Um, that's, you know, it's been a big part of my life for the past four or five years now. And um, I also wanted to do something for them as well. So I decided to do my own personal fundraiser for the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And I did this all on a quarter mile track. So it was going to end up being 400 laps around the track. Um, and I wanted to raise $400. I was you know, lucky enough to be able to raise close to $600. Um, oh, but yeah, so I went out there and I ran 60 miles on Friday and then I ran 40 miles Saturday and I was out there. It was 35 hours total of elapsed time with my breaks and my sleeping and all that. And then I was on the track for 22 hours. How do you was, like even, what do you do during that time? Like, what do you even listen to? Is it like music podcasts or do you just like be like run in silence? So I was, I probably did music for music or podcasts for about half of it. And then the other half, I just, just kind of was, you know, one with the, one with the track, you know, mm-hmm. taking in all my surroundings. And because that's another reason, you know, running for me is definitely an escape and, um, you know, being, there's no, nothing better than, you know, being on the track and just fully being in that moment. Like, like I probably listened to music early early like i listened to a lot on friday and then once i got saturday i definitely didn't listen to as much because you know i had to focus on every single step i was taking you know and i couldn't it was so painful i couldn't take my mind off it with music so i really had to be in the moment and just think you know take the next step one more step one more step to really you know get that 40 miles in that's it's just like insane (laughs) i can't even like i just i run like four times a week for like six miles and even after i can't even like I'm in pain after like the third mile. <laughs> yeah. I, um, I went to, so the, uh, last week or le- this Monday actually. So I took eight days off before I actually went back out and I, I went running. So I went to the track once this week and I, uh, I was just running. I did like four miles. I'm like, how did I, like, this is crazy that I did 400 laps on here. Just looking back on it. But it was, it was a mental challenge. That's one of the reasons I did it too. You know, I, obviously it's all great, you know, fundraising for national Alliance on mental illness and COVID-19 relief, but in the end of the day, man, it, it's going to make you tougher. And that's, that's another reason I took the challenge on. Yeah. Do you feel like this was like kind of like the culmination of your hard work put into like your one, like this moment of completing this a hundred miles? Yeah, I think there was definitely some significance in that. You know, when I was running around the track, I was thinking back to, all the tough times I had, you know, losing football and having to drop weight. And I, I did think of that, but culmination, yeah, it's probably, it's the culmination of right now, but you know, there's always something new and there's mm-hmm. always something next. And um, so, yeah, I would say it was the culmination of where I started from as a 340 pound lineman who could not make it one time around a track to, you know, running 400, ta- running 400 times around a track. But, 
you know, it's all, there's always the next, the next uh, goal. So it was, yeah, it was culmination, but definitely not done yet. So what really made you decide to launch this, um, this blog, the Tanner Kern blog and the Tanner Kern podcast, you kind of have like your own brand going now. What, what really inspired that? So I always wanted to do a blog podcast when I was going through, when I started getting better after football, cause you know, people would come up to me and say, how'd you do How'd you lose 140 pounds? How'd you do this? How'd you do that? And you know, I, I would think it, in my mind, it, it's not that hard, you know, it was hard, believe me, but it's not, you just, you know, the work you have to do, but a lot of people, I guess, don't realize what it takes to lose weight or, you know, kind of get into running and all that. So I started the blog and the podcast for that reason. And also just to let people know you can do anything you want with the right mindset. I mean, I was, when you take someone who was 340 pounds, that couldn't run a lap around a track to where I am now. Yeah. It just shows, man, you can do whatever you want. There's nothing special about me. It's just, it's work and that's all it's what it takes. And so, you know, through the blog and podcast, I try to get inspirational content for people. You know, the, the podcast has a lot of people with different backgrounds, but they all kind of, you know, they all have an inspirational theme to them. And then the, the blog is just kind of my daily thoughts and what I'm feeling and, uh, any, any, any content I can put out there to help someone, uh, get what they want in their life. Yeah. One of my uh, favorite ones you did was with, uh, my old, uh, track coach Stonier from Xavier. I, that guy just always is so positive. So like the minute I saw it, I was just like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, he is. He's the best. I love that guy. He yeah. is awesome. He's a great guy. Um, so the last thing I really want to ask you is you had this quote by Amelia Boone where it said, the struggle ends when the gratitude begins. And I just wanted to know, when did you feel like in your life you truly started to live by this quote? Um, you know, going from football where I was 340 pounds and I was, then I lost football and I was never really grateful for what I had. You know, I wasn't, I, I, I was still, I was still living. I was still alive. I was still able to function, but I didn't have football. And I felt like the world was over. I felt my life was over. And, you know, even when I was losing weight and even when I got down to 240 pounds, I still, I still didn't have that gratitude. And, um, I would say that I really started living by that when I really buried my football identity, you know, I still look back on my football days very fondly. I still talk about them, but I don't identify by that anymore. And I, when I was able to not identify by the sports jersey I was wearing, that's when I was filled with gratitude. Um, if that makes any sense, I, mm. you know, I was, I became grateful when I realized what I still did have in my life. And I, even though I didn't have football, I still had a lot of other amazing things that I had in my life. And, you know, that's kind of when that struggle was like that weight was lifted off my shoulders. You know, even though I'm not a football player player anymore, I'm still a lot more things. And I was just, I was filled with gratitude. So I, I mean, she's, she's amazing. I love her. Um, it, you know, she's an obstacle course racer, ultra runner, but she, uh, that quote really has stuck with me ever since I heard it. Because once I, once I took that weight of football off my shoulders and I identified by, so many different things i was filled with the gratitude yeah that for sure that quote that's just something that just digs at your heart i feel like and inspires you just lights a torch somewhere in everyone um so what do you really got like looking forward for like the blog and the podcast anything interesting coming up this week or next week 
Yeah. So um, this week on the podcast, I'm going to have Kevin Lawrence, who went to Xavier High School. He just yeah. got a CFL contract. And then the next week, I'm going to have a Why Do We Run podcast. So it's going to feature three interviews. There's going to be one ultra marathoner on there who's done a few hundred miles races. There's going to be a marathoner on there who's done like 20 marathons. And then there's going to be someone chasing their first marathon. So that'll be pretty cool. And then, you know, the blog, the blog's kind of just, you know, what I'm feeling every day, you know, what, what my thoughts are. If I think of something on a run that I, that can help people, that's kind of, you know, spur of the moment thing. But um, yeah. And then other than that, I'm going to start uh, training pretty hard for a fall marathon and uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Hopefully this COVID-19 ends so we get back to normalcy pretty soon, but that, nice. that's my plans right now. Yeah. Does it really impact like the entirety of like this? Do you think a lot of things now are going to lean towards the virtual marathon direction, like uh, the hundred miles you did, or is it like, was that just like a like blur type thing where it just, it won't be that common until this oh, is over? Well, definitely right now there's a lot of people like switching over to virtual events and virtual marathons. And, um, you know, I don't think I'll do much more of that stuff. I'm just going to, you know, try to focus on, when when things actually come back into play and getting a really fast marathon time but uh it's it's good because you know i love racing and even the the virtual aspect of it it's still a race you know so you're still competing against a lot of people and that's what makes it fun but um yeah i'm just i'm ready to kind of gear my training towards something that's going to get a legit time that i can put to you know a, a boston qualifier or something like that Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, we're all rooting for you, Tanner. Uh, Thanks for coming on. This was awesome. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, uh, thank you, Tanner, for coming on. That was some really good content right here. Uh, It was truly just like an awesome time to interview you. And if you guys really liked what Tanner did, um, you can follow his podcast, the Tanner Kern podcast. It is on Spotify. And uh, if you want to keep up with his blog, you can just go on to www.tannerkern.com for more of his great stuff. And uh, I'll see you guys later in the week.